When, in your defense, it was only a light stop to the chest. <laughs> it's That's So MLS, a North American soccer podcast with myself, Andrew Bates, and Nick Thornton. A joyous little romp on the chest of Johnny Russell. <laughs> that uh, uh, earning, earning surprise, uh, earning, uh, I felt there was almost a, a, a look of surprise on the face of that player uh, when the red card was handled out, handed out. <laughs> we'll we'll get to that one. I thought it was a little harsh. I don't I don't think he really meant to stomp on him, but anyway. Um you can find this podcast at that's MLS.com and on Apple Podcasts and other places. Uh Nick, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastically well. I watched too much soccer this weekend. The just mere fact that soccer is back seems to um <laughs> totally have lowered my inhibitions and my ability to self-regulate. I watched, um, I think eight matches this weekend. Wow. <laughs> Hats off to you. Hats off to you. I mean, which nor, like, I think last season I would have bragged, but considering the way my eyes feel right now, it's almost like I'm a little ashamed of how much soccer I watched, including last night after the soccer game, I went to go play I came home, and my ever-patient wife was fine with me finishing watching uh, LAFC Portland, even though I knew exactly what happened. I just wanted to watch Diego Chara flick a guy in the year. <laughs> okay, I missed the I air still flick. watched most of that match, even though uh. I knew what... The, I had to leave, like, ten minutes into the game, and so I, I knew exactly what had happened, but I still wanted to it's see important. it. It's important to get into uh, season form and this, this this sort of wind sprint that you seem to have uh, <laughs> have done this weekend uh, is a great way to do that. It ain't gonna last. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am. Uh, you may be able to see it on Skype, uh, but for the listeners, I am wearing this is a uh, this is a an exclusive a prototype of the new jerseys. That are to be worn by a Canadian women's national team uh, in the upcoming Women's World Cup. Uh, it is a little bit different because it is a practice jersey I bought out of the back of a dude's car last year from 2009. <laughs> uh, but it's a logo on a white shirt, so it's pretty much exactly the same. <laughs> oh, yeah. There, there's not been, for the kit nerds out there, there's not been a lot of love this year. Man. Every kit reveal is just like... It looks like somebody's printer quit working, or it's just like, ooh, this is what we call uh, off-white. I think the most silly thing about that particular reveal is that uh, Canada was just in this Algarve Cup, and they were wearing all black jerseys throughout the course of the competition. And it's like, okay, well, they've just signed with Nike. Like, are they going to have something with with red in it. And, and I don't know if this was being sold as like a, um, I, I don't think these were being sold. The black jersey were being pitched as like sort of the, the final product. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I love this idea that it's like, we can't in any way reveal our brilliant upcoming idea. We are in the, we're, we have to send you out in generic black jerseys we because we are in the lab. <laughs> we are in the lab right now making our masterpiece. A blank red jersey. <laughs> it almost feels like 
you know, like two weeks ago uh, in the Nike factory, they were like, oh, Airy, you got any colors? Uh, you got the colors ready to go for the kits? Oh, sorry, boss, I forgot. Was I supposed to order colors? <laughs> I don't know why there's a Nike sweatshop in England in this version of events, but uh, just uh, <laughs> leave something to be desired on the old uh, kit designs this year. But here we are. No doubt. Um, what, uh, what, of those, uh, eight matches, uh, which are the ones that, which, what tickled your fancy? It was a good, it was a good weekend for soccer. There was a few results, um, in games that I, I think I was expecting a little bit more out of, and maybe the result went the way I expected it would, but not really much in the game. I thought where we could start would be, I think, one of the big talking points this weekend um, and maybe where we can start with a little bit of controversy is the Atlanta-Cincinnati match. Right. Um, now, on the face of it, a 1-1 draw doesn't seem like that would be your game to start with or the game to talk about. But a lot of people were really surprised by this result. Not so much um, because of the game itself, but because of just the uh, increasing pressure on Frank DeBoer after some pretty poor Champions League results. You know, there is this issue that MLS clubs playing Champions League teams, those cha- the Mexican teams already have, you know, like seven to ten weeks under their belts and are sort of firing on all cylinders by the time MLS gets to play them. Um, but there's there's not a lot of love for old Frankie Boy in his new role as head coach in Atlanta. But I want to talk about the game first, and I'm I'm uh-huh. I'm interested to know what you thought of this overall game. Okay, so the the key thing, it's almost like this, the the start out is is such the the ordinary script for Atlanta. Uh, Martinez is is sprang by uh, Julian Gressel, um, converts easily in the fourth minute. It all kind of looks like the they're they're just not up in the in, in the same ballpark um, as Atlanta, who who has all this form. But they're not really, um, not a lot really sort of comes out of the next, out of the rest of the first half. Um, and it's, and it's Cincinnati that has a little bit more, uh, oomph and forward momentum. You see how important to this team Fernando Addy is, who, uh, who is scores, but it, the, the goal is called offside. Um, and in the end, it's, it's Lama, Roland Lama, who scores, uh, on also like, like the, a lot of will have been said about how he uh, got the ball, but I was also very impressed. It's not easy to beat Guzan, Brad Guzan, one on one. He's an extremely good keeper. He is. I was. I think it was. I think you last season or in the off season had said that uh, Lamont was going to be a big game player for Cincinnati, and yeah, I think that that's because in a team like this, he had a great time. Like he had a. a a great showing last year, but in a, in a scenario like this, your your role is as big as you want your role to be when, when there's no defined, you know, veterans or not veterans. Mm-hmm. Now, are you surprised at the way that Atlanta sort of, well, I guess maybe a better question is, do you think that Atlanta just sort of let Cincinnati back into the game? Are you, do you think it was good uh, shift of tactics and personnel by Alan Kotcher. What what do you sort of attribute to Cincinnati getting back into this game to you? So um 
Is it correct, because I didn't get to see this game in its entirety, uh, is it correct that there was a switch to a 4-3-3? Uh, roughly, yeah. I mean, there's a lot There's a lot of debate about exactly how this Atlanta side is. is or do you mean Cincinnati? Cincinnati switching to a 4-3-3. I think so, yeah. Because uh, I, th- I feel like um, the... Uh, that's an easy, that, that's, if you're looking to adapt in terms of, of, uh, how to tackle a team that has a three, three in the back, Mm -hmm. um, trying to overload them is a, is a good way to do that. And and if that's something that they chose to do, I think the thing is that you look at, if you look at a team that's got Barco, Joseph Martinez, and Pity Martinez lined up, lined up across the front, you really have to look to them to make more, to, to make more of those opportunities. Well, and this match was interesting to me because it wasn't for lack of opportunities created. It was just that for um, the the sort of final ball wasn't good enough. I did have to laugh a number of times because the number of times I heard the sentence, Breck Shea's final ball just wasn't good enough. (laughs) I was like, I'm not saying nothing. I'm not saying nothing. I need a new talking point this season. Um, But when you look at the the value of... um, you know, Martinez, a uh, uh, pity Martinez, that is, and Barco. And two players that so far, I mean, of course, granted, playing together, they've only had two games, at least in the league, that really have kind of failed to perform or connect. I don't think it's just a case of missing Almiron. Um, but there's just so much money there in those players that really had pretty quiet nights. I mean... We've seen little tiny flashes here and there from um, Barco, but this was another really quiet match for him. And just seeing him sitting beside Pity Martinez after they'd both been subbed off and kind of reading their faces, you know, looking pretty disappointed. But I still feel like Atlanta really let Cincinnati back into this game. Um, and everything that we'd seen about Atlanta last year with this just incredibly potent attack, just seemed to all of a sudden be completely cut off. And, you know, Cincinnati was still... It took a long time for them to get to in, back into the game and to string together passes, but they were creating a huge number of chances. Um, one of the things that I sort of picked out as being a problem for Atlanta is just defensively their midfield doesn't look as strong. And there were uh-huh. so many points last season where there were turnovers that were going Atlanta's way and so far to start the season it looks to be quite the opposite I mean credit to Cincinnati for getting back into the game the way they did and they they had numerous chances and and finally one went in so I don't want Cincinnati's big historic point um to be uh like I don't want to take that away from them but defensively midfield in Atlanta just doesn't look as as strong as it did last season no, uh, and they are without. Um, oh, who's their guy who left? Um, I was going to say Phil Haber, but he played for LA last year. But didn't they have another? Uh, didn't they have another key sort of MLS? Well, they have Darlington Nagby. I guess yes, that makes sense. But Nagby has. Um, I think Nagby subbed on. The thing about this, the new sort of look that they have, um, and I think that this is. Uh, that this is like something that 
you had to know was going to happen is that when you switch a new coach and you have new players, you have got to uh, develop something. You've got to develop something, and it's not going to happen in the first week. Unfortunately, that those those first couple weeks for Atlanta included some Champions League games, mm-hmm. and and you know having. Uh, uh, a rough start has been really negative uh, for them. Although, you know, not necessarily... I mean, they're not necessarily going to... going to rescue... They're not going to be able to maybe pull off the rescue attempt that they did last time Mm -hmm. uh, in this round. Um, When you look at the play that did work out, it was Gressel coming down the right side to Martinez. Mm -hmm. It was established... It was established chemistry. It was an established sort of uh, provider, which maybe if you move... Almiron out and you replace him with Martinez, a player who, um, I don't know if, do you, do you see him as a, as a player that's maybe more of a, of an end product player as opposed to a, a, a buildup player like Almiron was? Yeah, that was, that was sort of my assessment is that they're not a like for like swap. Almiron was really the, um, the creative driving force, whereas I see Pity Martinez is a bit more of an aggressive like forward midfield attacking player that's, um, you know, probably going to score more goals from the run of play, whereas Almiron would probably be assisting or scoring from set plays. Um, it, The thing that, watching the body language of the Atlanta players on the field, the thing that I'm wondering is it doesn't seem like they're either entirely bought into the new system or the new coach's way of playing, or they don't understand quite where they need to be. And, and what they're supposed to do, because there seem to be an awful lot of moments of just indecision and something that Atlanta really, I mean, the, the thing that made Atlanta so good in their first two years in MLS was just this fluidity of play that everybody seemed to know and understand exactly what they were supposed to do and where they were supposed to be at all times. And they were, that made them very, very difficult to break down. Um, in this game, it just felt like there was a lot, an awful lot of sitting back and trying to hold a certain formation, and that allowed Cincinnati the room to maneuver around them um, and also look quite vulnerable on the flanks. So you still have a great goalkeeper and you still have a great spine um, up the center of the park, but there just seemed to be all kinds of spaces available to Cincinnati that we haven't seen available to, to Atlanta in previous seasons. By saying that they're attempting to hold a shape, the the conclusion that you would draw from that is is that they are, I guess, being told to practice or, or memorize something that they haven't had to do before. Is this kind of what you're suggesting? Possibly, um, because I, I otherwise I don't quite understand the hesitancy um, on and off the ball from the Atlanta players' side when you've got seventy thousand fans cheering you on, um, and just but the the slowness of it was what I found kind of shocking. And once Cincinnati saw that Atlanta was going to be sitting back a little bit and things weren't quite falling for them, they just found their way back into the game. I mean, I think the first goal really demonstrates what they need to do is that, you know, they've got Cincinnati has Nick Hagland and Kendall Waston, both two big, tall, strong center backs. Nick Hagland, probably a little better at the positional play than Kendall Waston. You know, keep the ball on the deck and dribble around these guys. There's definitely ways to score against Cincinnati, as we saw. Um, Instead, it felt like Atlanta really overcomplicated things and and was trying to cross balls into the box, which is, like, 
this is not the kind of game you want to play against these two center backs. Um, but overall, it just really looked like Atlanta's hearts and minds weren't into it. I think that that any, as we discussed, um, Frank DeBoer's, the, the, the benefit you get of having him in there is not short-term, it is long-term. Um, it's tough when you have a team that is so young and got successful so early that it, it's hard to have any sort of memory of the, of the boom bust cycle. Yeah. Um, but this is not a coach that you get to, you know, continue the existing team's philosophy necessarily. And I mean, like, I, I'm not saying that that's a wrong thing to have tried to do if you if that's what the team wanted to do. If they wanted a team that played exactly the same, mm-hmm. um, if they wanted to maintain where they were at, um, they could have you know hired an assistant or, or did whatever else. This is the beginning of a new cycle. If they are, if they, if if all of a sudden this is not okay and they're going to have to find somebody else, they need to hire the next coach based on that idea. If not, you're going to have to have a little bit more patience. Um, and it may not look like that like that fluid style. Um, maybe it's a mistake to go away from the fluid style, but that is the the boat they got themselves into with this coaching hire. Mm-hmm. Well, and Atlanta fans are pretty furious at the moment, and there's already, I mean, there were calls already before the league even kicked off for DeBoer to be out. Um, and I agree, I think that it is a system that's going to take time, but somebody made the comment the other day that it also seems like he doesn't quite understand the pieces that he has or how to best utilize them. And I think that that, at the current moment, also holds true. Um it also doesn't help that in his press conference he said that Atlanta fans had been a bit spoiled in the last two years with Atlanta's success, <laughs> which I understand what he's trying to say, and I think he's right, but is really not winning himself any favors. So <laughs> I think, honestly, I think... It's true, but you don't have to say it. The pressure really is now on him to deliver yeah. something, and I think that... Um, you know, MLS, what we've seen is that generally managers seem to have a little bit longer lifespan than in some of the European leagues. But, you know, DeBoer's got everything to prove right now. And to have uh, only one point out of your first two games and to draw your first game at home certainly doesn't look good. But I still think the other side of this story is that people didn't don't aren't quite giving Cincinnati its due credit for... Um, when they can organize and get themselves into a game, and the fact that they're an expansion side, so we don't know what they're all about yet. Just because they lost badly in their first game doesn't mean that they're going to struggle like Minnesota did. Um, and I thought they gave a very good account for themselves. Yeah, and you know, it's it's totally weird to think that you go into Mercedes-Benz Stadium, and I have written my notes, one, uh, one goal might do it in terms of secure, securing a point, and it did. That That's very rare that it's the case. Absolutely. And so it's not just scoring the goal. It's, you know, it's holding on to uh, the... holding on for the better part of 60, 70 minutes without conceding. And uh, although Atlanta got into space and tried to create some chances, defensively, Cincinnati did everything correct. So um, I think that part needs to be looked at. Anyway, that's a lot of Atlanta-Cincinnati talk. Where in the league do you want to fly to next? 
Let's go uh, where we started out. Sporting Kansas City, one nothing Philadelphia. Uh, the, uh, the, the game that seemed to have everything in it but goals. <laughs> no, do nothing. Do nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that this, uh, I, I didn't get to see this one in motion, but, um, it really looked like a, uh, a game with a lot going on. Let's put it that way. <laughs> It's always unfortunate when you have a game that, you know, there's all these, there's a lot to talk about and there's a lot of storylines. It's just unfortunate. It's not uh, all about goal scoring or beautiful assists. So, so I would say that one thing that I noticed in the first Sporting Kansas City game uh, is that they are trying to build this, uh, this striking relationship between uh, Johnny Russell and Christian Namath. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sometimes working, yeah. and it's sometimes not. There, the, it, it definitely has worked. But you, you have this the 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 play that turns into the first penalty is almost a chance really squandered because, uh, because Russell finds Namath, but he's kind of a foot back of where he would like to be, and he can't really he can't really uh, sort of direct it anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just so happens to to turn nicely based on 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 what he's uh, eventually able to do in Sporting Kansas City. Uh, guess that opening goal early uh, in the 11th minute. This, there's this, then you go back and there's a penalty kick as Sporting Kansas City concedes a handball. And I suppose it is a handball, except it's weird to think of why, uh, uh, it's weird to think of like, like calling somebody on a handball when what could they possibly gain by being a handball? Because the defender is between the ball and the goal line and his back is facing away from the goal. Like, so he's facing kind of back towards the corner mm-hmm. and the ball hits his hand and goes out over the goal line. I guess it kills the play. So that's a positive. But if you're, if you're measuring people's intentions when it comes to handball, it's not like he stopped a goal, a ball from going in the goal. It just kind of, it just kind of uh, volleyballed out into, into space. Yeah, I agree. I think it was, I mean, I, I think it's an okay call. I think it's a little bit unfortunate for Philadelphia. And I, the thing for me in this game is that, um, you know, Sporting Kansas City, again, with some Champions League action, has been stretched a little thin and isn't quite firing on all cylinders yet. I thought Philadelphia was just kind of unfortunate in this game. Um, both to, to, you know, the penalty in the 11th minute, which basically now it means Philadelphia's got everything to do um, the sending off of Fabian for stomping on Johnny Russell. I, a lot of people have said that, um, you know, he, he looks like he's trying to jump on him and he could have moved, but I don't know. I, I, I think that for most players, they're not trying to jump on someone in that way. Um, I mean, what goes up must come down. And then the own goal is just... Uh, you know, a, a case of your defender trying to come in and help out the goalkeeper, but, you know, that ball isn't really all that threatening into the box, and, you know, he's probably better to just let his goalkeeper deal with it, but instead uh, Jack Elliott gets a leg on it and redirects it into his own net. So I thought overall Philadelphia played really well, um, and... They're going to be one of those teams we just need to see more games of theirs to really understand what they're about this season because I thought Sporting Can- uh, Kansas City got a little lucky this game. 
I would definitely agree, and, and I love the the theme in this game, both of of Tim Melia getting the the penalty save on that early uh, yeah. early penalty because he's the best, um, and also uh, Austin Trusty who who conceded the handball early on has having this sort of beautiful uh, goal line clearance mm-hmm. um, that absolutely could have saved a uh, a, a goal. Uh, so there are so many times where goals could have been scored but weren't out of uh, sometimes heroism, but also sometimes sort of like hijinks. Um, in in where Sporting Kansas City got lucky, I think, is I really don't think they did much to capitalize on having that red card. No, 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 no. I th- they did look a little bit cautious in their play, and I, I, I must assume that's just because they, they've got more matches to play. <laughs> <laughs> they've got other work to do. Um, so I was kind of disappointed by this one. I'm, I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm waiting to see Vermees in, in full tilt and, and what his team can do, because I think they're going to be a very potent attack, and we saw how good they were last season, so everybody... Well, maybe not everybody, but I'm I'm excited to see what they're going to look like when they're uh, firing on all cylinders, but not quite there yet, and just kind of unfortunate for Philadelphia. But um, one of those ones where the result kind of doesn't tell the full story. Uh, one game that I think is uh, is refreshingly simple from that uh, perspective is Houston Montreal. Mm. <laughs> um, Montreal uh, does what we uh, what we know it to do and, and know it to be capable of with this beautiful goal um, early on from uh, Safir Tider. Yeah. Uh, just like he is just like I I had in my notes strolling at the end of the cross uh, to put it in, but like he was just like hanging out here. He was basically doing the Sonic the Hedgehog waiting animation. And, where he's got, and like, where was he hanging out, Andrew? Where was it he was hanging out? I believe it would be the far post. <laughs> Prime real estate in MLS. The far post indeed. Spacious backyard, so, that far post. So we know Montreal is great. We know they have players that can score, and they did so. Um, but after waiting so... Or the, 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 after sort of having that, that bright... Um, that bright first goal, they uh, they conceded the equalizer, um, mostly because I think it's it, the ball is coming in from the wing and and they're doing a little bit of sideways movement that pulls the def- like sort of pulls away the defense and opens up uh, space for Rodriguez. I think yeah, I believe Rodriguez to hit a a, a, a massive kick from the top of the box. Mm-hmm. Um, to get that equalizer. And then the, that's like, oh no, that's two minutes later. So it's like, you have this, you have this, this great flash of quality, but, uh, Houston displayed a lot of, um, I guess, focus and, and concentration by not only coming back to reply right away, but also by getting the winning goal late on, uh, through Maro Monotes again. Um, is able to uh, capitalize on a great ball from Romel Kyoto. Yeah. I mean, that goal from Rodriguez is just like, there's players, Montreal sees the threat, they try to close them down, 
Rodriguez takes it and just blasts it. I mean, that, that's such a wonder strike. Uh, Evan Bush guesses right, and and but just sees it kind of too late. And how do you how do you react fast enough to that kind of laser of a shot? Um, so I don't. I I thought here Montreal had an okay game, but I think they'll be very frustrated that um, their marking was just a little lazy in the second half, and that second goal especially. Um, you know, it's the center backs just not watching his man, and you, they know the ball's coming into the box and. You've got a challenge for that kind of ball. Um, so Houston still, to me, looked pr- kind of defensively shaky at points. So I don't think we're going to see a, a massively different Houston than last year, a team that is beatable but just can also punish you. The big thing that I think Houston has going for it is just that they can score goals from pretty much anywhere, that they've got six, seven players that have no problem uh, banging in goals as well as the the pace that they have and the speedy strikers. So I uh this it's a great start to the season for Houston, but I think Montreal's going to be pretty disappointed that they didn't get anything out of that game. Especially cuz they looked so good in the first match. Absolutely. Uh, um a team that looked good last week still looks good this week is Seattle. Um who got their 2-nothing win over Colorado. Mm-hmm. Uh Colorado coming off of I think uh, what was a, I think that there people have had hopes for them coming into the season and, and that, uh, that crazy snow game, um, last week was interesting, but didn't necessarily prove much one way or the other. Uh, they looked a lot less threatening here. Mm-hmm. They sure did. Um, part of that though is because Colorado played quite well. And this was another one where I felt like the result doesn't quite tell the full story. I thought Colorado did exceptionally well. Um, And just for comparison, if we're thinking about this match happening even five months ago, I think we would have predicted a very different scoreline, especially the way Seattle has started this season. Um, So I was impressed that Colorado, you know, tried to get themselves back into the game Um, but they just sort of have the stuffing knocked out of them so early on that they've, they've just got so, so, so much work to do away to try to get back into it. I was really surprised that Seattle didn't go up, you know, four or five, nothing in this match. Um, and the, the finishing wasn't quite all there, but credit to Colorado for finding a way to just sort of hang on into a game that, um, they ultimately got nothing out of. And I definitely thought you saw some some decent attempts to from Andre Shinishiki, who was one of the goal scorers last year, like or last week. So he he clearly like has got some uh, some quality to him. The uh, the the goals, as you alluded to, both came on the fifth and eighth minute. Um, first, you have after this the goal that we the Rodriguez goal that we talked about in the in the uh, Houston game. Uh, Kelvin Leardham steps up. To hit a classic uh, defender smash it in goal <laughs> from the top of the box, uh, and then minutes later, I wrote in my notes: um, the way to punish the Rapids is to create chaos in the penalty area. Yeah, send the ball in. Um, you don't necessarily need to know what's going to happen, but if you have got the ball moving on the ground in the penalty area. Um, there's a possibility you're going to be able to find space that you can 
um, capitalize on. And in this case, it was uh, Rodriguez or uh, Rodriguez. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Rodriguez cutting the ball back to Rodriguez. Yes. Yeah, um, and I mean the are, thing is when you you watch that the replay of the goal um, and you see Phil Huber standing behind Rui Diaz and just sort of throws his arms up. And I'm like, well, get in there and challenge. Like Seattle is a team that's not afraid to throw five or six players into the box. You've got to be able to to man mark and deal with that a little bit. Um, I completely agree. Like as good as Colorado has has gotten and as many changes as they've made defensively they're just not organized enough at this point so yeah throwing bodies in and seattle knows all about that in terms of just overpowering a team and having six or seven attackers that a team has to defend against um again i'm still a little surprised that seattle didn't quite get more out of this one i mean they got the three points so i'm sure they're happy um but the second half especially, you know, really allowed Colorado an awful lot of time and space to get back into the game. But I also think, you know, this the days of Colorado just being a, a pushover certainly seem to be a, a distant memory now. And that's not the attitude they have going forward. And I think it, it'll be a good sign for their coach that, you know, they went to into hostile territory and, okay, they walk away with no points but they're playing against one of the league's best teams, one of the most potent attacks. They go down 2-0 early into the game, and then they're able to defend, create chances for themselves, and they don't just give in and give up. And And that's what's going to be important in games going forward, is that you saw Colorado beginning to work its system out and have players grow and understand each other. I mean, at that point, it's like, okay, well, treat it like a practice then. If, you, if you're not going to win here or get a point at least build that team chemistry. At least don't just give in so that you've got something to build on for the next match. And I mean, even even if it is kind of, uh, in the same way that you talk about it as a practice game, once once the goals are kind of decided this this early, um, even if it is sort of a a, a performance lacking somewhat on, the, on behalf of Seattle, um, you've got to look at it as, or, or, or perhaps that's a gift to Brian Schwetzer. You know, to be able to have a performance where where he can say, like, oh, here's what you guys need to work on uh, without losing any points. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but a good scrappy match. I was pleasantly surprised. I mean, I watched this game and I thought after that second goal, I just went, well, I guess Colorado's back. And they, st- <laughs> they steadily grew. I think they did the, the right things. Um they just look much, much cleaner in possession as well, uh, much better defensively. So I think there's something there. Playoff contention, maybe not, but there's. I don't expect to see this team, you know, dwelling on the bottom of the table all season either. Absolutely, uh, a team that uh, that rebounded from uh, a first week draw is Columbus, mm-hmm. who uh, who popped back uh, from a one one. Uh, went into New England uh, and, and came away with three points with a with a two zero victory thanks to Gyasi Sardes. Yeah, two great goals from him. Um, New England kind of still looking flat. They're hard to get excited about this season. Um, there just really seemed like not much in this game for them. They had a couple of chances, um, but 
this was sort of like the Columbus of old um, when we saw them last season. Just be able to get those one nothing, those two nothing uh, victories to to climb up the table. Zach Steffen obviously a huge influence into this game by blocking a penalty, um, and that kept them. Yeah. In. That's a that's something I definitely was thinking about in terms of, of one thing that we hadn't focused on a huge amount is um, this really unique situation in terms of a goalkeeper starting the season knowing that he's going to leave halfway through. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, that's a contribution, isn't it? Uh, this 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 penalty that that keeps the game. Uh, I believe it was already one nothing by that point. Um, so you kind of have to look at it like, well, um, if you if at the end of the if at the end of the year there's you know three points out of a spot or two points out of a spot or two points into a spot, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like, like at the very least, this is a player who still has a lot of focus and is trying to do his best to contribute, um, which is maybe you know, which is uh, a pretty good result for this kind of a scenario. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, of course, that's something that we'll just have to wait and see what happens and how Columbus responds without Zach Steffen. But I think there was sort of too much made of this idea that he's going to be distracted um, or that he's overrated. You know, just because he's a younger goalkeeper, people forget, though, that means like he's getting better better every year. And I I don't think Zach Steffen has hit his ceiling yet. I think that people are very familiar with and like the narrative of, you know, these young American players that go to Europe and then they just sort of do okay or they fail and then they come back to America. Um, but I think we, we are in a new era and Zach Steffen is in that mold of a different class of player that I think he's going to go there and, and have success. Is it going to be at Manchester city? Possibly not, (laughs) but uh, he's the real deal, and he's gotten much better. And I don't think it's an, giving him enough credit as a professional to to think that he's going to come in and you know have a crap first half of a season with Columbus. Um, he also basically got an assist as well on the second Zardes goal because that play is really f- out of uh, his goal kick. That's true. I, I just I would say that I have utmost confidence in 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 Stefan I I thought he's great I think he's still great uh it's less about him specifically and 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 how he would and like I thought that it's a, a failing on him as much as it is like goalkeeper is not like uh like like a left back or a striker mm-hmm. where you could put somebody in for one game or you could put somebody in for 10 minutes and then take them out like like it's almost like a, a a job like a captain or like a coach sometimes when you start the season as a number one goalkeeper. Absolutely. Um, I mean, in in you you'd say the same thing about a coach in a similar situation. Yeah, one well, is comparison. I mean, imagine Sporting Kansas City without Tim Milia. Mm-hmm. Right, like you, it's just such a key component of that squad. So that is where it's going to be interesting. It's good to see Columbus uh, put on a good defensive effort. Because um, that's something that we certainly saw last season that gave them success. Is that if they're not winning, then they're not losing. Uh-huh. But, uh, yeah, it, it wasn't a terribly interesting match. I was. Uh, this is one that I, I missed, but I can't say I really missed it. After I went back and watched it, it was sort of like, eh, 
it was a, a so-so performance. Columbus still finding their feet. Um, but huge, huge game from Zardes. And just, I also, I, I'm not, I'm not going to get tired of the fact that Zardes just got thrown under the bus by LA Galaxy, and here he is living his best life in Columbus. Now, uh, when you were talking earlier about games that you expected to be a little bit more spicy than they ended up being, uh, I don't have a lot to say about New York City, uh, DC United, but I feel like that's probably a game you were thinking of. It definitely was. That is one where, like, I mean, I didn't have a ton of plans to rearrange, but I definitely rearranged plans to watch that game. <laughs> and, I mean, I I do have a couple of maybe interesting things to say about it, but really wasn't much in this one. Um, I promise I'm just going to say it this one time and then I'll let it go. But the pitch <laughs> at, at Yankee Stadium just looked so horrendous. Like, yeah. It's embarrassing. It's just so, so embarrassing to watch teams play on that pitch. That They're basically the season... avoiding a whole third of the pitch because you can see the sod moving around on top of the dirt underneath. Like, it's just... Oh, dear. I saw that. I think you did post... You you posted a picture. Or no, you retweeted a... Or no, you posted something. Yeah. I do think. And I was just like, yikes. Uh, especially yikes, because the season... The uh, the Major League Baseball season hasn't started yet. <laughs> like, this is... This is... This is the best it's going to be. I think it... I think and partly it, it's, you know, because it's winter, like, the is a little browner than usual... Um, and that didn't help appearances where it doesn't necessarily mean the quality is bad, but certainly the way that players are sliding around. The other thing that it does is it slows teams down um, because similarly to um, when Portland and Colorado were playing in the snow, you have to take smaller steps because if you're taking huge strides on turf that's moving around underneath you, uh, you know, accidents can happen. The th- my main takeaway from this match Which is, is just a terrifying that, concept. Yeah, <laughs> um, is New York City makes very few mistakes, and that part was held over um, from last season. And DC make up for the mistakes that they make, and that those two things combined canceled each other out for the nil nil. This game yeah. for me was really uh, uh, Bill Hamid versus Sean Johnson. It was goalkeeper versus. Oh, goalkeeper. absolutely. That's the other reason for this. <laughs> so it wasn't that your... there weren't chances or good chances. It was that both goalkeepers put on a show. I had down here, there were no ideas uh, present that were better than either goalkeeper. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I would say that my sort of, my two, my two cents is that, that um, DC put some nice combos together, but couldn't, uh, couldn't get anything past Johnson. Uh, and I got this sense near the end of last season that when you watched New York City, it was a little bit like watching everybody play for themselves in a way. Yeah. Um, because both because of how, what a central talent, uh, David Villa was, but also because, you know, anybody else that's trying to, to stake their own claim as a, as a star in a team is kind of executing their own plan. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is still the case because you saw, saw a lot of great stuff. You saw a lot of great stuff from Alexander Ring. Um, yeah. And it's not like nobody passed to each other, but I just kind of felt that the efforts were still individual. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely, 
the thing that I think helps DC out of situations like these is that they play so well as a team and help each other out that when they make mistakes, they cover for each other. Uh, New York City, individually, each player, I think, possesses enough talent that the mistakes aren't necessarily made, but they don't really have the chemistry going forward to create a ton of goals. And I feel like, you know, they'd been kind of lucky in previous years to get some, you know, fortunate free kick goals. And I mean, obviously when you have David Villa on your team, that helps. Um, and that was always really the question is, is just sort of like, what do they do without a, a really high profile star player that you can expect to score every other match? Um, because that was kind of the thing pushing them forward. But as a unit, They've never really been a, a hugely successful collective. So the chemistry's not there, but I think the basics of just the way that they set up the, the team and how they defended, I thought was, you know, there's a reason why they held DC to nil-nil, and DC's a, a, a pacey side as well and a crafty side. So ultimately, this one for me is still uh, three points to each goalkeeper. Zero. <laughs> one point for each team. The... Uh, uh... The Chicago Orlando game, uh, to me, was a sort of a, a a study in seeing how the new arrivals were doing for each team. Um, you know, I think that given what a high profile player he is, Nani has kind of uh, gone sort of flown under the radar a little bit mm -hmm. because I think he's still building a little bit of chemistry. But it certainly has seemed like he's been uh, pretty good in the first two weeks. Yeah, um, for Orlando. You, I loved seeing this. Uh, Dom Dwyer scores the first goal uh, um, after uh, I have it here. Dwyer pranks Oste with a chip uh, <laughs> after after Oste's defender leads him for dead uh, uh, from a from a ball that he got from from Nani, Nani. and it's like absolute gourmet service. Mm -hmm. Dwyer turns around with this green on his face, like he's just dined on prime rib. Uh, getting this ball from Danny. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, I think that, um, well, I mean, how could you not have that look on your face after the last season? Dom Dwyer, <laughs> Dom Dwyer is, is such a great player, and to just be so left alone and left out to dry last year, um, I'm sure he's he's happy. Um, yeah, it, it's unfortunate. Sorry. I'm thinking too many things all at once about this game, but I agree with the, uh, your point about it being a chance to see, like, the sort of, not rebuild of both teams, but what the rejigged version of both teams looks like. Because um, the matchups where you have, like, a, a squad that didn't go undergo a ton of changes or had success last year against a team that's new or had a lot of changes are kind of, you know, it's hard to have the same commentary about, but where you have two teams where they both tweaked a number of things but didn't change outright um those to me are the interesting matchups um and credit to chicago for holding on and getting something out of this one um because that is not a chicago we're used to seeing the yeah the major thing for me though out of this one is just that um nikolic has just been so out of form and you know two at least two really big misses from this game um, that really, had he scored, Chicago should have won this game. Um, 
and not because Orlando was playing the way we, we expect Orlando to play, but because of the chances that were created for Nikolic. And it's got to be... It's getting a little nervy, thinking, like, it's been a long time since we've seen the golden boot version of Nemanja Nikolic. I think that that's... Um, it's interesting that it's kind of a pattern um, among MLS strikers, which is, uh, which is at least in recent years, you see... A Wondolowski or a Kamara or a Javinko have like one. Well, maybe Javinko is a bad example, but like, you know what I mean? Like one, uh, one big golden boot year mm-hmm. and then like four normal seasons. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cause it really, I feel like, you know, everything was there for him uh-huh. and it, it was just the finishing, like really. He got into the right position. Um, Chicago looked very aggressive going forward, which they haven't in previous seasons. They've added pace to the wings. Um, overall, they're looking good. It's just, but if your star striker can't put the ball away, and those two chances earlier on are just all he's got to do is tap it in, basically. Clearing space for uh, for. Uh, I think a lot of people's uh, uh, um, a lot of people's sentimental pick CJ Sapong, who uh, who came along uh, I think quite late in this the off season um, and is just uh, finding success here mm-hmm. as you would expect. Um, Chicago doesn't have a terribly different style of play from Philadelphia. Um, CJ Sapong is a great striker, but he's also not a complicated one. He knows where to be. He knows what spaces to get into. And he also has the finished product he's able to deliver. Um, and so that's going to be such a huge thing for Chicago this season be- and maybe get them into the playoffs is that last season we'd see them give up games like this and come away with nothing. Whereas with CJ Sapong on their side, they can play not extremely well and still walk away with a point. So I think that if Chicago can tighten up some other things, then they could have a real uh, run of success. A team nobody, I think, was super ex- <coughs> uh, ex- expecting to have a, a strong start is Minnesota. Um, and, and whether or not it's the it's the teams that they've played right out of the gate, um, they uh, they again went away and uh and snagged a big three nothing and they snagged a big three nothing win uh against San Jose. Yeah. Uh and and just a painful game to watch if you're a San Jose fan. <laughs> to have had such high hopes coming into the season with Almeida at the helm. And they just looked utterly out of ideas. And Minnesota this is another one where it's it you know, you don't want to take anything away from Minnesota because they've made changes and they look really good. But San Jose just looked like they had no answers to anything Minnesota was asking of them and were just slow and sloppy. There was just almost no pressure going forward. And, you know, defensively, they looked okay at points, but really just let Minnesota run riot all over them. And it looked like Minnesota was in kind of like second gear for most of the game. Um, and almost like, I don't want to say holding back, but like things could have been worse. And you know, speaking of managers under pressure, you wonder how long San Jose 
what's up with Almeida, because so far, nothing looks to have changed. And it's different from Atlanta, where you can say, like, oh, you know, be, be patient, and these things take time. But San Jose's not building on success here. And they've, no. they've made changes, but they didn't make any major signings. Um, they haven't really overhauled the system. All the problems that were there last year still seem to be here. So how much time do you give it? I think that the 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 fit the huge failing with this and in, in the thing that you just can't let continue is sending Wondolowski to the moon alone. Yeah, um, he was out there uh, up front, and I feel like that's the thing about like when you when you say like how much time how much time do you give a a, a coach in this scenario? Um, maybe it's to the maybe it's to the window because this is the this is the choice that was made. Um, and it doesn't seem to be working and there may, I mean, like if you don't have the players to sort of come back from that, maybe the, uh, the answer is to find a manager who will get one or, yeah. <laughs> or, or, or just like the, if this is the idea, I don't know that it's going to find a lot of success between now and then. I think too that. I mean, and no manager, no club is going to admit they're aiming for mid-table, but I think if you don't have ambitions and you're not aiming to be in the top eight teams, uh, you know, the top four of your conference, then I think it's it's fine to aim for that and fall a little bit low, but it just feels like San Jose has aimed to, like, be slightly better than they were, but they're still falling short of that, which is at the bottom of the table. I'm just really struggling to see where the bright spots are going forward. Now, they've been able to keep players like Danny Hosen on board um, and Vaco. Like it's, it's not like they don't have attacking ability, but defensively they still look pretty shaky. Um, and like you say, just sending Wondolowski up there and hoping for the best, you know, sure, he's going to grab his 12, 13 goals this season, but like we're not here to just get Wondolowski to break a record. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. Um, the you you might note that uh, Denny Hosen wasn't there. Uh, he was on the he was on the bench for that. Oh, that's um, right. Yeah, I, I I wondered that in the game why he didn't start. I think he came on later. A uh, another sort of lopsided result um, was LAFC in Portland. Um, this is a game that you were maybe, maybe you might've hoped a little bit better for Portland, but LA just lit them up. They sure did. Although part of the reason, so I had to head out to play a game of soccer 10 minutes into this match, but I, I came home and was able to finish up and see the whole thing is that really it looked like Portland could have gotten so much more out of this game. And Portland had chances. Um, you know, they they get a goal and they look good for most of it. But LAFC, just as they do, have a quick run of plays that just overpowers them. Um, and including s s little moments of individual skill. So it's great for LAFC and they look super strong. And they looked as good as they have since they've been in the league. Um but Portland, to me here, I don't think they need to really worry too, too much. 
Um, they definitely made some mistakes, but this is not like ring the alarm time for them. I thought that overall they played pretty well. Uh, they just sort of lost concentration in a couple of key moments, but a 4-1 result looks like you really at no point were in the game, but you don't see the number of chances that Portland created as well. I guess that makes sense. Um, I think that... Uh, I'm just checking to see if they had anybody missing. Um, I think that this this lineup that they have with Abobasi in the, the starting role... Um, Puts a lot of trust in him, mm-hmm. and he he delivered on it with his first goal. Um, but I think that that's just, a, if I recall, he was kind of used in a little bit more of a of a um, supporting position last year. So, yeah, and I'm I'm all in favor of putting trust in in young players like this to to try to get the mm-hmm. best out of them. But he definitely seemed to kind of. I, I feel like, yeah, I mean, he's he's going to score a lot of goals this season, but scoring multiple goals in a game, I'm not so sure. Like, the finishing isn't quite there. That final product, that sort of polish that really needs to be there. Mm-hmm. You, um, the first goal here from LAFC, uh, Stephen Betashore popping up again. Mm-hmm. Uh, instigating a great, uh, a great chance for uh, Rossi. That goes out and Mark Anthony K collects off of the corner. Yeah, really, really uh, well taken corner, um, and good to see Mark Anthony K back to full health and in the squad. And a well, I don't think overlooked by LAFC fans, but I think elsewhere in the league, a player that's been a little bit overlooked as a, a really key component. It's easy to look at the the Rossies and the Velas, but um, him and also Diamande, as it turns out. Really critical pieces for LAFC as well. They're going to be a tough team to to handle this year. Absolutely, I think that the and, and maybe this comes down to the concentration as well. Uh, <coughs> but I I also had this uh, uh, that I think that the the second two goals for LA are caused again by this sort of um, the chaos strategy of putting the goal the 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 ball in the box and seeing what happens. Mm-hmm. And when you have the, the, the players like uh, Kay and Vela and Rossi, uh, that's a strategy that can potentially work. Absolutely. Well, and the thing that LAFC have on their side is finishing <laughs> as well. Like, yep. it, there's just such clinical finishing and precision. That's the thing that's really working well for them. And I think we'll continue to, to do so going forward. Um, defensively it, they've got work to do still um set pieces seem to to trouble them at times but you know portland if they had the same quality of finishing this game could have been 4-4 <laughs> not necessarily the result that you want but um you know we know portland can score goals so it's just that that all important final ball that lafc certainly to me seems to be one of the more clinical teams this season and i think i i mean i know that that's going to continue um, Dallas and the LA Galaxy, uh, the Dal-Gal game. Um, I, I think that this is a game and, and I think that this is also kind of true of the Galaxy so far this season, uh, in total where you're looking, um, for Galaxy to have this sort of huge, uh, uh, the, they're coming off the win in the first week. It's like, what are they going to do? Well, it, I don't know what the, much they were able to offer outside of um, 
their uh, their new prospect, uh, Efrain Alvarez, uh, had a nice chance, but it seems like this one was all kind of Dallas. Yeah, it really was. Um, I was disappointed overall at how kind of sloppy the game was, that Dallas didn't look as strong as they have at other points. However, the Galaxy just played terribly, <laughs> to put it simply. Um, and... You know, it's not a surprising result. It wasn't a great game, but LA looked really, really strained. They were without Alessandrini and without um, Ibrahimovic, but we can expect that that's probably going to happen multiple times this season, and they need answers when they don't have those key players. And as we've said many, many times, is investing such big money in older DPs isn't necessarily the best strategy if they can't play every week and we Uh saw this especially with dallas to me this was uh three points really lost here that you would expect a little bit more from the galaxy and um i think they got off lucky to only have lost by two but dallas you know they've got things they need to clean up in their game for sure but not not a great game to watch the uh, uh, this first goal, I think that, uh, the penalty kick, I feel like the, the, the Dallas player catches a kick in the, uh, in the midsection and, and makes the most of yeah. it. Um, which is, you know, is that you, you, you get what you deserve, I suppose. Uh, if you do that, um, if you, if you've been fouled, I mean, I guess you, you should take, uh, you should, you should. Take every effort that you can to get reward or to 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 get the reward for mm-hmm. it. Um, but this second goal from Brian Acosta looked amazing. Yeah, and I mean Acosta is just one of those players that can pull the strings and create a little bit of magic. Is going to be a, a key piece for Dallas again this year. Now uh, the last <laughs> the last game, which I almost I left because I felt I didn't have I didn't even have a you know. A, what is there to say about it that we kind of didn't say last week? Real Salt Lake won nothing in Vancouver. Uh, a, almost a snow day for Real Salt Lake, who uh, uh, woke up to see that the pitch was covered in snow and had to issue an open call for anybody to come down and push the shovel across the pitch. Yes, and thank you to um, all the fans and supporters and groundspeople that did that as well. Appreciate it. It was nice <laughs> to be able to play a soccer game. No doubt, um, it's a it's one nothing on a penalty. A lot of people criticized the. Uh, I, I I saw that quote from Mark Dos Santos. He said, um, "Last year, last week's uh, last week, Jake Wernowski definitely one hundred percent committed the foul. This week, I'm not going to criticize officials. I would rather give money to my kids than the disciplinary committee." I mean, let's say the obvious and just get it out of the way. It's not a penalty. It doesn't touch the player. So it's really hard to give a, for it to be a penalty if you don't actually make physical contact with the player. Is it a straight dive? I'm not sure. He looks like he kind of trips a little bit. Um, here's my point. Regardless, it happens relatively early on. It's incredibly unfortunate, but it happens. And the thing that shows the true test of character, especially early on, is how you respond. And Vancouver's response for the rest of this game was just 
subpar. And I think part of it is Dos Santos' desire to play short, connected passes instead of long balls over the top really, really slowed Vancouver down. They looked inc- like glacial moving forward. So defensively, I thought, for the most part, we did what we needed to do. Um, and I thought Nerwinski overall did okay, but just moving forward, it, it wasn't good enough. Especially in the uh, the dying stages of the game, I found myself leaning in towards the television thinking, you know, make that push, make that push. And for the last, I would say there was, what, four minutes of injury time. Mm-hmm. And three of those four minutes were RSL in the Vancouver third. Yeah. Which is the best defense that you can come up with. <laughs> but uh, but it, it represented this, like, this sort of lack of push laid on for, for Vancouver and whether or not it's because like you say, like they're, I think that, you know, balls over the top versus these short passes last week, you kind of said that the, the, when you, you resorted to the former, it was a form of panic. Mm-hmm. So, so maybe this is another scenario where, uh, they're trying to learn something, but they're not quite, uh, good enough at executing it yet. No, and there's just no urgency to the sense of play. I mean, one of the great things about MLS is there's so much soccer on the weekends. And this is one of those games where, unfortunately, I was like, well, thank God there's another <laughs> soccer game after this so I can watch an actual soccer game. I thought RSL, for their part, too, overall didn't play very well either. Um, I, I was actually surprised at how disconnected they looked because I, th- I thought that they really could have punished us a lot more. Now, credit to Vancouver for their defensive shape and being able to keep it at one nothing, But, you know, outside of a couple of chances, um, Inbom Huang is the real deal. That kid is a baller. Yeah. Um, no doubt. And it's not just about, like, the fact that people are still talking about potential, I'm like, I mean, he's there in terms of what we need. The If there's further potential, that's amazing. The trouble for me right now is is still that the striker system's not working, um, and there's a disconnect. And I'm just going to say it, Montero's not the right fit for this system. I think he's going to score seven, eight goals this season. Um, Ardias, I feel a little bit more optimistic about because he gets himself into some good spaces and is a little bit different, but I still think there's a, a key attacking piece missing from this squad. And the lack of goals is is really concerning because if we're just going to rely on set pieces to get us goals, um, you know, we've we've seen how that plays out, and it doesn't necessarily get us where we want to be. Do you? What do you take away from this and and the Whitecaps two games into the season? I think that the the even though uh, Wong is is the real deal, you really have to kind of look at like where. Um, we were talking earlier about the role that um, Almiron played and, and what they're going to do kind of without that. I feel like Inbom might have that level of, or like, you know, a, almost a similar level of quality. Yeah. But like, they just have to figure out like where he's being placed and who he's feeding to. Mm-hmm. And that kind of isn't there yet. Um, our days is great. Uh, I don't know. Is it suggested that he's coming off the bench because uh, because he's still trying to get um, fitness? 
I think I think he's fit. I'm not sure. I I haven't heard anything to suggest otherwise. I think it's just that they don't necessarily have a formation where they have two strikers. It was interesting that Montero and Argias were on at the same time, um, but I I'm not sure what the reasoning was there. I thought it was interesting that. Um, to not put Tybert in as well, because Tybert's a player that does create a little bit more urgency, and we know is good on the ball, we know he's good box-to-box, -box, we know he can move players up the pitch, so I thought it was interesting to not put him on. Um, and I'm not quite sure Dos Santos' assessment of their performance to me. I'm just, I'm like, I don't know how you watched that last 30 minutes and thought that your team was playing well. I guess like the the uh, in his case he's a, he's a player that missed a, a big chunk of the preseason mm -hmm. with that injury. So so perhaps it's a scenario where if you if you're not feeling super confident you've um, where if you're not feeling super confident maybe you do kind of take him off at that point. The important thing I I didn't see was there an injury to PC that caused him to come off at the end of the. Uh, yeah, I believe he got a finger in the eye. Oh, apparently he's fine. That's so good. He's fine, but he couldn't open his eye, and that was causing problems. Well, that's the that's another thing then to think about in terms of when you talk about this last thirty minutes of the game. Um, the the Whitecaps last sub was our days on the on the seventieth minute, mm -hmm. so he really didn't have an option. Yeah, uh, like he couldn't have, because he had to use that substitute. Um, defensively, there wasn't kind of an opportunity to bring Tybert on, so maybe that's one sort of reason why he didn't see it, or, or maybe he, there's just sort of a fitness issue. Um, still really curious to see what happens with the armband. Mm -hmm. I didn't, uh, I wasn't able to, uh, I wasn't able to track what happened with that one specific, or what happened in that, what happened, who was wearing the, uh, the armband in that game? I think it was a reset. I was, uh, I was watching it on a TV with, new, I was watching on a TV with no, uh, no audio, so. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when the interesting thing was at halftime, they announced that, uh, also with a left back injury, that they also, uh, acquired a, um, uh, another fullback. Is he left back or? Right back, I've forgotten. Oh the yeah, um, defender, and Ali Adnan. Yes, um, I think the people Which is a strange are strange announcement about this. to make during a game, but <laughs> yeah, we've only got him for four months, so it's a loan, but it certainly I think will help create things going forward. However, my point is like, but that. Is that really the problem that we have right now? <laughs> like defensively, I think actually hmm. we, we've been okay, but it's it's the scoring goals piece. It's the creativity up front. It, I, yeah, it's going to take time to gel. I just, for some reason, I get a feeling that when I look at that, the the front three, I'm just going, I, I don't see it, and I don't see how that's going to be a lethal weapon this year. And when you think about upcoming against Houston... And then Seattle, I, I'm really, I gotta be honest, I'm a little afraid of both. It's true. I mean, like, that's the, when you, okay, let's not, uh, let's not slander Minnesota because Minnesota have started strong. But if you compare those two to 
um, Minnesota and Real Salt Lake. This is the easy. This is or no, not easy, but like this is the this is not the harder part of those four games. No, it's, it's really not. I mean, and and that's the thing, right? It's like if we can't, we're gonna be going to Houston next. If we can't score some goals there, Houston's gonna punish us. Um, defensively, yeah. hope we have, we, hopefully we're a little better, so maybe that's a draw. But uh, I'm I'm really not looking forward to welcoming Seattle into BC Place because I feel like they have a really good opportunity to just tear us to shreds as things stand right now. Well, maybe this is uh, where we're acquiring a new left back will help. Although <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was a didn't Glass. Uh... Um, didn't Glass City say that there was an agent around here? Maybe it's a maybe it, or that there was like a uh, an agent who represents him, sort of hanging around training. Um, one of these days, maybe it's sort of like a a transitional move to to help out the player. And and we've talked about kind of what is going to happen with the Alfonso Davies money. I think that there has been wide scale investment throughout the pitch. And they have brought in some key designated players, mm-hmm. um, but when you think of a, a club bringing in a player for only four months, it's either a um, a scenario where you're waiting until the European off season to pick someone up, or a scenario like you did see with the Whitecaps once or twice last year, where they um, they took flyers on players uh, just to see how it would work out. Yeah, it just it feels a little bit patchwork still to me. Um, it's the I, I see all the individual pieces and potential there, and I get you know the common refrain here is that you know we're building for the next five ten years. We're not building for necessarily just year one, but it just it right now it feels like yeah, just these random sort of pieces scattered around the field that aren't able to connect yet and. You know, with the lack of physical players on our side as well and, and height forward, I just, it still feels like there's a, a big attacking piece missing. Um, for, uh, there was this piece uh, in the score. They got a chance to talk to Tyrone Mears mm-hmm. um, at the at the end of his sort of uh, MLS career. He'd, he'd bounce from Seattle to um, Atlanta to Minnesota. And and he had this. I felt that the the headline, which is uh, which was sort of a quote headline. I didn't feel, I didn't feel like you know he didn't feel like soccer quote meant a lot uh, in the U.S. compared to England, um, where he's from. And that was a little inflammatory. But I think that the interesting thing that I see in in something that. I'm not sure if it's a good, a bad thing, or maybe actually a good thing, is that he was used to receiving far more abuse and criticism from fans and other players <laughs> when when a team lost. Like he was like, I expected, you know, I you know, you expect that people are going to be absolutely furious at you. You expect that you expect uh, somebody to run um, on the pitch and you know punch you in the jaw. You 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 expect players to be like short tempered and snap at each other, but he says you know uh, players were um, players were like just talking about what they were going to do on the weekend after after a loss. Mm-hmm. Um, and the quote one quote was 
quote, I didn't feel like it meant a lot. I had to, or in terms of the lot, specifically talking about like, like the team's feeling after a loss. Quote, I didn't feel like it meant a lot. I had to quickly understand that some of these guys were not earning very good money and they enjoyed playing football, but saw a life after it. Mm. That is, and from how uh, inflammatory the piece is framed, um, that's a re- that's an incredibly realistic outlook. Yeah, <laughs> and I and I I wouldn't say that it's inaccurate, mm-hmm. and I also wouldn't say that that's like the wrong outlook to have. You know, sure. <laughs> you you everybody expects have a, has a certain expectation out of a. Uh, a professional athlete, but some of these professional athletes are earning $60,000. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I totally agree. I mean, it's not the most optimistic outlook, but also that's the reality right now. I, I think it'll mm-hmm. continue to grow, but you know, it, it, it is going to be, uh, well, I, I think it has been baby steps and it's taken huge strides, but also remembering that, you know, he, he played at a certain time and place and, you know, we're entering a, a different era, hopefully. It is kind of funny to think that, you know, he's sitting here being like, hmm, these, uh, they weren't as, they, they didn't have the same drive for success that I did that caused me to play for three MLS teams in two and a half years. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> Uh, the other big, the other piece of news that I saw, uh, U.S. Women's National Team has filed a lawsuit over wage equity and working conditions mm-hmm. um, compared to the, the men's team. This is a, a fight that they have had before. They've uh, filed before, uh, I believe, a, like a U.S. Equal Wage Board uh, or an Equal Wage Commission that, that not a lot happened from it. So now they're bringing the lawsuit. Um there are comments because the last time they were trying, or, or, or I feel like one thing that people might look at because the last time they had a a, a, a bargaining scenario, it took place in an Olympic year, and in here we have it coming up before the Women's World mm-hmm. Cup. But um, it's when their labor power is the strongest. Yeah. No, no ill will for that. Why shouldn't they organize at the point where public opinion is on their side, and they also have, you know, heftier bargaining chips? I also love that everybody, you know, they're trying to to argue that that the the playing field is not equal, and in they're not being uh, their um, drawing power. Or I, I don't even know if drawing power, right? But they're not being compensated equally to the uh, to what they're producing. And the new U.S. men's national team jerseys that came out. Mm-hmm. The women's national team jersey has a, a stripe on the back of the collar that has three stars on it. And so does the men's, despite the fact that the women have won those World Cups and the men have won zero World Cups. Oh, good observation. <laughs> this was from Twitter. It was, uh, uh, there, was a, there was a good there was a good Twitterer who picked that up. But uh, I saw, yeah, I saw that through Steph Young's Twitter account. Um, Men taking credit for women's achievements? Hmm. <laughs> Why have I heard this before? They'll say that it had that the original stars that were in the U.S. crest had nothing to do with the amount of World Cups that one of the programs have won. But wow, bad luck. <laughs> Deary me. Well, best of luck to them. <laughs> um. Until next week. Where can we find you online? 
You can find me online uh, on Twitter and Instagram at That's So MLS. Where can we find you? You can find me at Team Bates on Twitter, www.team-bates.com. I am an editor at howlermagazine.com or at howlermagazine, what a howler.com. And uh, you can find this podcast at That's So MLS.com and on Apple Podcasts. Please rate, review, and subscribe uh, wherever you find this fine show. Indeed. And, um, Andrew, until next week, don't flick a player's ear as you run past and get yourself sent off. Oh, thanks for the reminder. <laughs> <laughs>